Hello, boys and girls, ladies and gents, days and dems, and zims and zers, and she's and she's and hers, and he's and hises, and uh, cats and dogs, whatever. Welcome to the podcast. You're all included in this giant mess of a party I call the Soap Row Show. And this is the last podcast, last episode. Yeah, it's one of those. <laughs> last episode, I'll, I'll be. I'll be What's wrong with my mouth? Mm. This is the last episode I'll be recording before I turn 40, guys. It's it's a big deal because I'm supposedly going to be going over the edge to the other side. Um, the, the things that are thrown at you when you tell someone you're turning 40, it's like, oh, shit, that's it. It's, new, it's, it's, it's all downhill from here. Uh, oh, man, you, better, you, you don't know what's going to hit you. You're not ready for it. And frankly speaking, I feel the fucking best I have in many years. So, and I'm not saying fit or physically or anything. It's all of it, right? I feel like I, I finally am in a place where I kind of can uh, be comfortable with myself, which I think is a good feeling. If you haven't felt it, it's a good feeling uh, as opposed to you can be fit, you can be mentally peak performing you can do all those things but not be comfortable with yourself so i don't know it feels good i might change it next week my opinion about myself but right now feeling all right feeling pretty darn all right but um there's also this expectation to celebrate your 40th right i, I don't know if any of you guys are 40 or you pass 40 or you want to be 40 and um you have these things that you have to celebrate 18 16 18 21 25 30 i don't know every every decade is celebrated i don't know why but usually the 40th you have to show off your achievements you have to go out you have to have a big party you have to travel somewhere take people along with you and go party there and I'm not doing any of it because I am broke. <laughs> but honestly speaking, I don't know, man. I don't know how much I enjoy going out with a big group of people, uh, whether it's classmates or a social group that we meet often. I don't Big groups in itself fucking piss me off because you kind of are just uh, playing to the group dynamics and not really enjoying being yourself and being comfortable with yourself. And I'm not comfortable with myself within big groups because you have to kind of play to the group uh, elements, right? You have to play to that part. And I've spoken about this before. And I don't know why I'm telling you this, but uh, that's the fact that I've spoken about it before because you're listening to it right now. Why are you going about it? Yeah. And you have to cater to what that group wants you to be. And I hate it. And why would you fucking spend money and take these people out to another country and do the same thing there? Like I'd rather go maybe with another person or maybe two other people let's go chill yeah i don't know but clearly i've got no clue how the 40th is done so sorry if i come across as a bitter cunt and um, that's just me but it's a strange feeling when you look at it as time gone by because who knows now the next 40 zero to 40 and i look back and i think to myself what a wonderful world now i think back and i look back and think to myself okay time lost shit you're past your peak 
you're past your prime. And if you look at it like that, you're fucked, right? Because you're like, oh crap, man, everything's slowing down. And I think I'm enjoying that feeling because there's less pressure. And here's a kicker. Everything that people fear about growing older, I've already done because or whether it's uh, in a positive or negative way, I had to face those things because of my eyesight or lack of rather. I was uh, dependent on people in some way. I needed, uh, I needed help getting around. I've used a wheelchair. I've, uh, I, I, I can't read. I can't drive. I can't write. And what's most of that's and and yeah, the good thing is memory. I, I hope I don't lose that because that I'm not fucking ready for. But or uh, most people are scared of that, right? Losing their independence, not being able to drive, not being able to play a sport. Ah, fuck you! I beat you at it. Yeah. What do you think about that, you contemporaries who are like now? Oh my god, when I get older, yeah, been there, done that. If you need some tips, I'll let you know. So yeah. I'm not one of those people who put, puts a positive spin on everything, but this is, uh, yeah, practice makes perfect. I can start wheelchair racing, even though I don't need a wheelchair. But now they've gone and beat me by putting a motor in it. But uh, I think it's good to be aware of what your vulnerabilities are from a young age, because then you know what? It makes you less fearful of change and less fearful of letting go of what you could do and make you ready for what you might need to do and letting go of what you have and prepare you for what you might need uh, or might not have. So I'll leave you with that uh, because it ties in neatly, which is not planned, with my guest and what she does. She's a clinical psychologist. Her name is Dr. Courtney Warren. And on today's episode, I talked to her about perception. Let's just leave it there because it's a fun chat and you'll enjoy it. And as always, I appreciate you tuning in to this and till next episode goodbye god bless take care of yourselves cheers and catch you on the other side dr courtney warden welcome to the soapy rao show thank you so much for joining me my pleasure i'm so happy to be here with you it's great to talk to someone who works on and has tried to understand human behavior, especially this idea, which I maybe let's just go in it right away before I start rambling, because people who listen to this podcast know I'm famous at doing that. <laughs> just starting on a complete offset. Like, how's uh, how's the uh, stars aligning with someone's <laughs> some nonsense level? Anyway, um, I want to understand this idea, which is very essential in some sense. Uh, but I feel it's so important when it comes to uniting people and also separating people. Maybe could we start this conversation by talking about this called perception, this idea of perception? Certainly. Right. So can you uh, maybe shed light on how perception is something that is truly an individual's, but at the same time can also be manipulated by a collective? Wow, that's that's a big statement right there. <clears throat> I apologize. Yeah, it's six thirty no, in the morning, so I'm <laughs> it's six it's, and it's night here for me. So, yeah. as I think through this, you know, perception is the way that I conceptualize it. 
it's the filter through which you interpret your surroundings, your world, your identity, your experiences. And so as a psychologist and as someone who works predominantly with helping people understand themselves at a deeper level and explore what their thinking patterns are and where they came from and how they feel and how they process information. One of the most fascinating things about perception is that it's actually very malleable. Mm. We love to think that the world is black and white. We love to think that there is an objective reality that everybody sees and that our thoughts are actually truth with a capital T, like we Mm. see reality. But the truth is that our thoughts are often highly untrue and very unhelpful. Mm. And much of that is because of our perceptions, because of how we see things and how we interpret things. And sometimes we interpret things in incredibly individualized ways that are probably highly deceptive, really. Mm. Mm. Um, And sometimes that serves us well, and sometimes it doesn't. So starting off with this topic of perception, I think so much of how we process information as humans is based on how we take in information and then the conclusions that we make about that information, which lead us to having our reactions and our reactions lead us into our lives and into our relationships and into our worlds, right? And so there's the collective, as you're saying, we're influenced by our cultural norms and our experiences that will frame our perception and our identities, but it also will be reflected to others in that way. So Mm. it's a complicated topic, certainly. Anytime we talk about culture, I find it fascinating because um, it's so integrated into our identities, but in in very difficult ways to um, measure because it starts really young. Yeah, and you know what's fascinating, I find, is when you kind of look at yourself and you try to understand how you look at the world and it's a collection of experiences and memories and all these things that go into shaping your perspective which constantly change but there are also some which are so fundamental which you are unaware of because it happened maybe at a young age or it was reinforced continuously over a period of time that you don't um, understand why it's happening until you're like wait a second that means the truth that I've told myself is not really true or for yeah or for instance you you have all these things that you try to undo or you try to unlearn or you try to experience and then you go wait a second this is my i'm one person in a billion or more and and then we kind of say if this is happening on an individual level how can even something on such a large scale try to be cohesive right because it's so many things happening on the individual level and we're trying to bring it down to a common plane and we use it through these things called society culture family all these units and then we try to bring it down to i mean almost in some way the lowest common denominator of human interaction and then we kind of make people get along fight and so it's i find it just remarkable how we're even uh, still around you know I absolutely understand that perspective. Um, You know, we are, we are full of conflict internally, I would say. And uh, the existential psychologists who are sort of the more philosophical tradition of psychology Mm. really have long argued that 
the reality of human nature is comprised of some givens of life. And one of those givens is that you are existentially alone, which means you are born into a solitary being, person, body, and you are going to die alone. And those are just fundamental realities. But you have to interact with other humans. We are social creatures. We don't exist in a vacuum. We aren't solitary. And so somewhere in this milieu of the billions of people, Mm. we have to interact to really have someone hold up a mirror, to really help us to see ourselves from someone else's perspective. Because as much as I love the image of sort of a Zen person by themselves in nature, you know, feeling very whole and oming and wonderful and, and sort of grounded, the reality is that we don't learn a whole lot usually when we're by ourselves in a peaceful mm. situation. We learn the most about ourselves when we're in conflict, when there's adversity, when you are confronted with yourself in a way where you go, oh my gosh, is it does, is that me? What does mm. that say about me? What does that reflect about me? Where did I learn that? Why, why do I think that's true? Why do I think that's okay? Those are the moments that give us the biggest opportunity for growth, actually. Mm. Um, that's my perspective, at least. No, that's amazing that you said that because we've obviously gone through this past two, three years where people were not able to um, have this um, encounter with other human beings and, uh, you know, either be agreed with or um disagreed with or have these adverse experiences of course it was the most in some way the most adversity some people have experienced being isolated and being at home and having this disease and this virus attack them but i'm saying as a social being the adversity was isolation but at the same time the interactions that also could cause that were uh, were not there but you know uh, I, I want to just for a second before we get into that just understand uh, these things when people say positive thinking and when they say things like um, work on you know just having these uh, points that you start your day on because of this thing being so uh, relative when it comes to each individual so a person who starts um, with a person say who starts at neutral when it comes to their emotions or their um, outlook to the world they might have had a really good comfortable childhood where it wasn't really sort of mm-hmm. any trauma they were not sort of mm-hmm. put in and so they they are easy they're more easily able to get into a positive state of looking at the world um mm-hmm. everything's a little brighter everything isn't starting with oh crap <laughs> it's another day right but for someone else who's had a set of other experiences which aren't sort of that good to shape their perspective they have to get that much more positive into them to even be at neutral Mm-hmm. So the reason I bring that up is when we have that kind of system where someone may be even more positive, so they need to be a little negative to come back to neutral. I mean, that's just the other set of the spectrum. Regress to the mean. Yes. Yeah. So, <laughs> that uh, so when you have this uh, kind of group, which is the scale is huge, uh, and then you have two, three things happen. Of course, the pandemic's now fortunately or hopefully over and we out of lockdown. And then you impose this framework or you rather set this in the context of a, you said the uh, existential philosophers who said, okay, yeah, the, the things which are granted us that we're born alone and we're going to die alone. And this experience is truly ours in, in itself. And we're alone. Mm-hmm. You have that. But they also might have said that in a social, or in a social setting, which was physically real. So we take that, we take what they said, we take the social setting, we take this pandemic, pandemic we're out of, and then we 
put it in the context of this virtual society, which is the online social media. And so I know it's a little too many things I'm sort of introducing here, but what are we sitting on as a society, like a global society right now? What is the human condition and how has that changed over the past, say, let's say since the internet came around? Oh, wow. Well, you have so many ideas in in your commentary there. <clears throat> Let me see if I can narrow down narrow down some of them okay. to have a cohesive comment. I think the internet certainly revolutionized human interaction. I think it's hard to really even overestimate how much it changed things um, in terms of this accessibility of information, the way that we communicate, the lack of physical touch, the kind of information that you have easily accessible to you. It's it's something that probably generations before the internet will be completely different than internet internet youth, right? Yeah. Like our yeah. children who are growing up sort of inundated in it. Um, this may be a side topic that you didn't think we would address today, but the first thing that comes to mind when you say it is really the addictive nature of online experiences that I mm. think is probably not the similar in some ways to what we experience in one-on-one -on -one or in social gatherings that are in person. Mm. Um, so things like pornography use, sexual mm. and romantic relationships, dating, um, being vulnerable, being honest and open and authentic in an online setting is very different than doing it in person. There's a huge amount of data on college students and high school students in the United States, and I would imagine probably globally looking at dating behavior and um, pornography use online and sort of sexual experiences and that youth today really don't have any um, naivete, I would say, anymore because they see sexual encounters online mm. from such a young age that there's no control sample who hasn't seen it. So when they go out as a 15-year-old trying to be vulnerable and actually get to know someone in a romantic context, it's it's very foreign. <laughs> um, right. So just on that point, I, I, I think we need to, we, we can talk about this in further depth, but just on that point, I, I've spoken about this in, in a few other episodes with people who, um, in, in various contexts, but yes, you know, you have these children or teenagers who are inundated with some form of sexual content, right? Whether it's actual pornography mm -hmm. or young girls seeing nude men or young boys seeing nude women so the idea of the innocence if you want to call it is gone but is just just to play devil's advocate here is, is it necessarily mm -hmm. bad or is it something that they're like you know what we've seen it all now we can move on to deeper issues let's understand ourselves so just what, what happens yeah. when that situation is you know uh, put in front of a child i think my answer is always going to be it depends okay there are positive and negative aspects of any personality trait. There are positive and negative aspects of any real exposure to experiences. It's different. There are ways in which it can end up being very maladaptive. So if it keeps you from being vulnerable, if it keeps you from um, having some sort of positive interaction or healthy interaction with an in-person human, mm that could be a negative and something that we'd have to work through. Positives are, it can be much less taboo. You can 
have social interaction with people who are halfway across the world Mm -hmm. at any point. You can get social support more easily. You have more access to information. There are pros and cons, positives and negatives, and it really depends on how you use the information, I think, and how it affects you developmentally. Um, I don't think it's universally bad. I think there are a lot, there are actually a lot of positive aspects of being on social media even, but there are also some negative ones. So it really depends on how you utilize it and whether you can keep it in a perspective that's helpful for you and not harmful for you. Okay, thanks. Now, I just wanted to address that because it comes up a lot, especially with children and teenagers and how it is. And you see it, of course, uh, when, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be 40 and when I look at my niece who's a teenager now, uh, it's very easy to be critical, right? And then you have to remind yourself going, hey, wait, when you were 16, there was some other thing like maybe a Game Boy or maybe it was a, um, you know, some other kind of fad, which was the big thing. But it was also um, a phase, right? When you would go through like, say, mm-hmm. these baseball cards or the Trump cards for WWE wrestling and or G.I. Joe toys, whatever it was. Or someone would say, yeah. don't watch so much Cartoon Network, it's bad for you. So every generation has their vice. But it just feels like this um, is more than just a toy that kids kind of take up too much time with. It's almost like it's invaded even across the society, right? Across the age groups, across demographics, it's everywhere. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to, uh, while we move along on this idea of how the internet is transformed, th- th- I think there's something which I want to understand. Because you mentioned that um, just a few minutes back. What does it mean to be an in-person human <laughs> anymore? You know, we we could even just volley back and forth about that. Yeah. Um, you know, we live in a very different world than probably any other humans in history yeah. with our digital world. So what does it mean now? Well, I think the answer is probably very similar to what we always have explored about humanity what makes someone um uniquely human well we're we're mammals we're animals at our core so the goal Mm. i think is to overcome many of our animalistic tendencies through choice through Mm. critical thinking through creating a value system that appreciates humanity and that strives to uphold um high moral standards for how we treat each other and how we treat ourselves and how we want our world to function. Um, I think probably it's, it's similar. It's just done in a different platform or on a different mechanism or with different kinds of interactions. Mm. But I think, I don't know that, that the core of humans have changed. I hope that we continue to develop our moral compass because i think there are ways in which the internet it provides mass amounts of information that may or may not be accurate that may or may not be true Mm. uh there's not as much perhaps critical thinking about what you say or when you say it people say a lot of things that they probably wouldn't say to another human to their face because it would be so hurtful um so you know in that vein, it would be the same conversation that I would have with someone about how they interact with someone in person. It would just be, you know, really coming to terms with who do you want to be? Who are you? Can you really look yourself in the mirror and talk about your background and how it affected you and, and how you operate in the world and what you value and what you really want to do with your life and what gives your life meaning? All of these yeah. really 
foundationally important things. And then can you say, and these things I really don't like so much about myself, or I do this and it really bothers me. I hurt people because I'm reactive and I'm insecure. And when I get jealous or triggered, I act this way and I don't like that. And I got to work on it. I got to work on it because I want to be better. I want to be better for myself, for my loved ones, for my community, for my world. Um, and yeah. I hope that people are having that conversation in all ways of their life, in all areas of their life, in all interactions. Yeah. yeah. I think that's something that we all hope for, right? Like we all um, want and at some point want to see the good. But isn't this this thing like when, you, you know, sometimes you have a negative interaction or something, someone cuts you off in traffic and you want to, you know, curse the hell out of the guy. But you can't say the moment because nothing comes to your mind. But on social media, you can wait a few seconds and type it out as a comment. And so the thing, the reason I mentioned that is, that doesn't that reflect that every person, be it, we call them trolls or internet hate, but that <clears throat> indicates that if there's no consequences of social uh, rejection, or like say for instance, you wouldn't say it in a group of ten people because I'm like, hey, you can't speak like that, so let's just stop it, right? Or don't be, a, you can't be a part of this group. Um, mm -hmm. That's accepted on the internet because what you can do is then go to a group where you're celebrated because everyone thinks like you. So. I, I'm just trying to understand that mm -hmm. from from a very different sort of angle. We call it, of course, it, as things stand, it is bad, right? You can't go troll someone and abuse their mm -hmm. mental health or physical appearance and make them feel like crap. And this could be from a child at school to a celebrity, whoever it may be. But mm -hmm. um, I'm just talking from a social soci design of society. A lot of people earlier mm -hmm. didn't find acceptance because of the way they looked or the way they felt or the way they spoke or they had certain ideas but that were not cool. So they had rejection and then as a result, they became this person who had uh, certain thoughts and feelings. Maybe it led to suicidal thoughts, but also maybe it led to anger and it led to these kind of persons who did good or great or really bad things. But mm -hmm. with the internet now, you can, rejection can be, it could be called rejection, but it also could be called acceptance in a negative group or in a positive group. So I'm saying just mm -hmm. from this idea of rejection or acceptance, mm -hmm. um, isn't it a good thing to be accepted by people? But the sad part is that it's really bad things you're being accepted for. Like, oh yeah, let's be, you know, let's hate all uh, puppies, you know, and you'll find a group that hates all puppies, you know? So it's, what I'm asking is, maybe it's not even a question, but I'm just trying to understand how does rejection and acceptance shape a human being um, and what is happening as a result of the online community? Hmm. Well, I can answer it more generally. Yeah. That yeah. having human connection is really, really, really foundational mm. to mental health. So if you look at outcome studies of almost any mental illness that we currently diagnose, mm -hmm. having a strong social support system is a huge predictor of positive outcomes of treatment and of just positive mental health outcomes. Mm. And that really involves feeling like you're a part of a group and feeling accepted or a sense of belonging to a group. Mm -hmm. And so in that sense, yes, it is very important feeling like you're part of a community. People care about you. You're valued in some way. You contribute to it. Those are, those are really foundationally helpful things to humans. Mm. 
Hmm. When you're talking though about some of the internet trolls or some of the the difficult situations we can get into, yeah. One thing that that you see in humans a lot is that we we really want confirmation bias. We are, hmm. which means essentially. We want to be around people who validate that we're right. <laughs> we want to see the data as though it's reflecting what we actually think is true, even if it really isn't. And when you're online, you actually have a lot more control over who you're going to interact with and not interact with. Yeah. What I mean by that is an example in the United States. We have a number of television news media sites. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So there are certain sites that are going to cater to the really liberal people and certain yeah. sites that are going to cater to really conservatives. And do they ever watch each other's shows? Mm, very rarely, probably never. Yeah. So they're never getting kind of confronted with the other perspective from the positive light of the other perspective, which means that they sort of are never going to get challenged from seeing each other's sides, which makes them more sure that they're right about whatever it is that they think. Mm. <clears throat> um, I, th I think online, you know, anytime people are acting in trolling behavior, whether it's calling someone names, commenting on how they look, commenting, cancel culture, just being just generally a disrespectful human, I wouldn't want that behavior ever in person or online because it it's not consistent with my value system, right? Mm. Which doesn't mean I don't have lots of moments where I get really frustrated with people and would like to tell the guy off who cut me off on driving or yeah. whatever. But it really means that you are responsible for your behavior 100% of the time as a human. And you can try to walk into my office and tell me otherwise, and I'm just going to keep holding up the mirror. Because the reality is that no matter what you go through in life, even if it's objectively horrific, you are still responsible for your response to it, always. And so even if somebody treats you in a way that's absolutely terrible, you are responsible for how you respond to it, how you approach it. Now, that's really difficult for a lot of people to hear, especially people who have been through trauma or really difficult childhoods or, or situations that they did not have a lot of control over, yeah. that they were powerless over, where they even were traumatized or victimized. Yeah. But it's not helpful to any of us to stay mired in blame, angry bitterness, because all it's going to do is make you an angry, bitter person who's focused on why you're a victim. Yeah. And that is not conducive to psychological health, right? It's not in yeah. your best interest. And it's not that it doesn't make sense. And it's not that I don't have tremendous empathy and tremendous understanding. And it doesn't even mean that you don't want to fight social realities that are really unfair and very discriminatory because there are tons of them, right, yeah. that are... We live in a world that is not fair. It's not fair in the way that we humans intellectually want fairness to be. We think fairness is, is consistent with whatever we think is fair. Um, that's not the world that we live in. Yet, as you do that, the, the, one of the greatest gifts that you can give yourself is to say, this person is treating me badly or I don't like the way that they're acting. And this is how I'm going to choose to respond to it because of who I am, because that's going to leave me feeling safe and secure and grounded in my own skin. And I can look myself in the mirror and say, 
I did my best to be the best version of human mm. that I can be. I'm looking out for humanity. Yeah, and it's at almost... the end of the day, I think that that's what we're all going for. Yeah. No, it's almost like you're going to get triggered, but it's how you how you manage it that's important, right? Because, um, no, I think that's the my the, the thing that is, is that you have so much, um, I, I mean, you have so many things that can stimulate or trigger you negatively or positive. And, you know, yeah, what I think what's, what's amazing that you said, it's, it's all on you uh, because it's so easy to point and blame and be, be be angry with the world. But I think we're also told to do that. But at the end of, at the, end of the, the, the way of thinking like that, you're just exhausted. You're the one who's tired. The person who said that you might have their own story, but you have no control over that. You have no, you have no idea of what's going on in their story. So yes, yeah, and and that's that's such a that's such a sad thing that it's being used this way of how a person instead of saying you take your okay you know what life's not easy you've had your set of experiences and i understand it's been hard but at the same time you being um you know you being a person who's got a life you have all of it and you have some good some bad some really good some really bad some tough some easy stuff but that goes into what makes you a human who's having a human experience but instead of that i, I feel there are people taking the one grievance a person has or the one um, thing that really affects a person and then undermining the rest of their human experience or their humanity and kind of just making them, you know, feel like the victims about that and manipulate that feeling into a group and then make them just keep going on about that point. And you hear a lot of that. You said with the political uh, reporting or the, uh, be it the various other I, you know, we can go into specifics, but I, I mean, I, 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 can, I don't care about getting controversial because it's, it's not no. about, uh, it's not something which I find controversial. But people do, then they do. But I don't want you to talk about something if you're not comfortable. Uh, but just this idea, you know, whether it's, it's so many things, disability, because you know that's a safe place for me to talk about. But it, like, I, I'll give you an example. Like when I was growing up, sure. my mom would. Uh, you know, really be a part of helping me out, right? Because the school systems didn't really have too many special needs programs or when it comes to assistive technology or assistive programs. Uh, so it was mainly, you know, schools were good, but they didn't really know how to handle a, a person who's partially sighted, right? So they had mm -hmm. uh, whatever the thing. So but my mom's approach was, you know, you get get by, but just do what you have to. Don't really come across as someone who needs help, who's who's different, who's disabled, if you want to call it. And uh, because that had a different paintbrush that people would paint you with in, say, the 90s. They're like, oh, handicapped. That means all they're good mm -hmm. for is, you know, put them in a padded room. And if, if they can say hello, it's a great achievement. So in that context, if you can go go about doing things as normally as you can, then that's the best sort of scenario that you can hope for. But today I find when I'm either giving a, when I'm either doing, you know, show or I'm talking at a, at a corporate about these things, diversity, equity, inclusion, it almost feels like people are like, look at me, I've had it hard. Look at me. I, I was told off the other day. So it's almost gone to the other extreme where you have to wear your wound on your arm, you know? So yes. I don't know if either is good because in one, you're brushing everything under the carpet, building all these defense mechanisms where you're not even looking at the truth and your self-worth 
takes a pretty big battering because all you're doing is just to get validation. They, they found me normal. I'm, I didn't stick out like a blind guy. You know what I mean? At the other end, you had just like whining and there's no adversity because everyone's like patting you on the back saying, yeah, yeah, you are disabled. You poor thing. We need inclusion and just saying the right things as opposed to doing the right things. So mm. I just, I, I know it's a whole lot I've just spoken, but I just, you know, feel that that's something which has been upsetting me because when there is so much an individual can experience and I'm not saying through recognition achievement, but just generally to mm-hmm. be a more fulfilled person, more and more the stimulants from the outside world are kind of taking that away and making it very unidimensional, if that's even the right word. Mm. I mean, I think your example is wonderful. I certainly see the culture of woundology here. And it isn't that people don't have wounds and it isn't that we don't want to acknowledge different uh, realities for people like your, whether you call it a disability or a a part of your experience or however you refer to it. Mm. um, Of course it affects your life. So when we talk about cultural competency here in the U S and, and I would imagine where you are as well, You know, it really is a slap in the face when people want to say, well, I don't see race or I don't see gender or I don't see ethnicity. It's like, well, well, then you've completely (laughs) missed something about this person's whole entire life experience. Right. So that's not actually very culturally inclusive or competent because it isn't that it doesn't matter. It does matter. It does affect you. It did affect your upbringing in ways that able-sighted people maybe don't understand, couldn't understand. The flip side of that is what you're highlighting. Do you want to get to know me through my wounds? Mm. Is that now part of what I have to present to the world in order to um, connect with people? And in some ways, the answer is yes, because the way that we connect is through vulnerability. Usually Mm. it's through sharing something about your experience that's intimate. That's how we get close to people. That's how you develop emotional intimacy is by saying uh, something about your upbringing or something about your experience that has been a challenge for you that you've had to figure out over time. Um, I was raised by a single mother who was brilliant, but Mm. she was also incredibly mentally crippled. And so it's not something that I need to lead with people to to have them know that I am wounded or had difficulty, but it is something that if you're close to me, you would know about. Yeah. And so it's a part of you, but not all of you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Certainly. What I what I strive to get people not to do, and maybe this is related to what you're saying, is do not get power through weakness. Mm. If you're using your wounds to try to get power, that is not good for you. Mm. So what I mean by that is if you come to the table saying, well, I've had such a traumatic childhood or I've, I'm, um, I'm a woman and I've had sexual discrimination throughout my career, whatever it is. And I'm doing that as a way to manipulate and gain power over the situation. I think that's highly problematic both for you Mm. And for everybody around you, because you want to make choices through a place of strength. So if you're sharing something about yourself, even if it's a wound, even if it's something that you experience, but you're sharing it as a mechanism of 
for you to know me, for you to feel close to me. And it, and I'm not trying to make you less. I'm not trying to make you feel less than me or somehow one up you or one down you or whatever that is. I'm not trying to neutralize the power through my wounds. Then I think it's an opportunity for very meaningful conversation. And actually that's probably the best opportunity any of us have for many of the world sort of struggles around diversity related issues that we have race sex class sexual orientation gender orientation gender identity is to welcome dialogue that isn't trying to make power plays that is literally trying to connect and understand and respect that all of us have had our own experiences some of them hard some of them easy and by understanding yours i also get to understand you and you get to understand yourself and we get to understand each other. And, you know, I've had conversations with both types, right? The person who is willing to share their story as a part of their human experience. You know, you can't take it away. If you ignore it, it's not good. At the same time, if you only sort of lead into a conversation, look at me, I have no eyes kind of thing. But I've met, I've had conversations with people and, and it's been a truly fulfilling holistic conversation it's not it's about ideas it's about how that particular instance or incident shaped the way they kind of either behave with people or how they kind of took it up on them uh, you know took it up to kind of work on themselves or some people who let go and some people who had coping mechanisms it's it's a very nice conversation because it makes it feel like you know what there's another person with a set of so many different yet similar experiences that make them truly unique but then you have you see a lot and you hear a lot of these conversations where people say, because I can't, they should not be allowed to as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know what I mean? And you hear that in more the dialogue, like right? you've heard mm-hmm. these words, probably ableist and or because I can't see, they shouldn't talk about driving, you know, right. <laughs> something stupid like that. Uh, right. and, and I find it stupid because I think I, 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 at some point I was in that place, right? When, um, Someone around me would say, oh, you know, I love going outdoors and trekking and jogging. And I'd be like, I don't like that person because I can't do that. And it's it just it, more than anything, they're going to go about doing it. And now if I go on a crusade to stop them from doing it, I'm going to waste so much time and make so much noise about something which is really at the end of the day, not even important to me. Because if you just flip that to say, you know what, there are things I can't do cool but there are a few things or maybe more than a few things if i actually look at it that i can do and i'm going to enjoy that that's when i feel the shift kind of attracts the right kind of energy the right kind of people the right kind of conversations because you're not only coming from that place and that's i don't know if you um if this makes sense but that's when your day starts when you're neutral and not always minus you know mm yeah, it it reminds me of of so many conversations I have with my children that are around fairness and saying, you know, fairness does not mean sameness. Mm. What is fair for you is not the same necessarily as what is fair for someone else because you're different people and you're different you have different interests, you have different abilities. Yes, you're, you know, the 5-year-old rules are different than the 10 year old rules. Yes, they are. And it's fair. And I hate to, I hate to tell you, but my expectations are very different for you. Um, and trying to sort of neutralize people's strengths, I think is a mistake in Mm. general. 
I think you celebrate gifts that people have. I think you celebrate their strengths. Mm. And so if you have someone who can go for a hike and they love hiking and they're an expert rock climber and I can't rock climb to save my life, it's a mistake for me to try to bring them down because they can. So similarly, it's a mistake for any of us to try to weaken someone Mm. who has a gift at something or who enjoys something if that we're not good at. All we're doing is indulging our own insecurity and vulnerability. Yeah. Again, coming from a place of weakness. Um, you know, I I think that if there's like a blanket statement I can make for human development, the better we feel about ourselves, the more self-esteem we have, the more groundedness we have in who we are and our inherent value as a person the less reactive we're going to be to other people's strengths because the reality that what they're able to do or not able to do has nothing to do with your value becomes so obvious that you're unaffected. So it's like, Oh, that person's gorgeous. That person's brilliant. That person is, you know, this expert athlete and it bounces off of you. There is no insecurity in you because it doesn't have anything to do with you. It has nothing to do with your value. It says nothing about how wonderful or not wonderful you are. And I think yeah. the more we build people up, the more we're going to bring out the best of them because insecurity breeds dishonesty to ourselves, to others, because that's when you get the most self-deceptive. That's when it's the hardest for any of us to admit realities because we want to shift them to try to maintain our ego and it's not going to go well in general. Yeah, I mean, that's such a beautiful thing to build on. But at the same time, it's very sad when someone looks at the world and says, someone else's beauty means I'm ugly. That's very, that's, or someone else's, someone else's prowess means my inability, you know, because, um, it it creates this thing, and and I, I you just mentioned that word, which I think is really important. It's dishonesty, right? Um, and maybe another thing which we can tie into that, if you can talk about that, is this idea you mentioned called of deception, um, mm-hmm. because it's so easy to lie to yourself. Uh, doesn't help you, but it's easy to do it in the short term with all these various. Well, we call them tools, but it's also coping mechanisms, right, from drugs, alcohol, social media, pornography, whatever it may be. I don't know, um, highlight one or demonize one. But what, um, what, what happens when you are building a story that is, you know, it has the perfect elements of a social success story, right? You have the right job, you've got the right institutions to study, not institutions where they strap you up, but <laughs> institutions to study. Yeah. Uh, you go, you have the right values, um, or rather your external worth meets the right values that a society, capitalistic society is built for you, the number of houses, your kids go to the best mm-hmm. school, the right mm-hmm. cars, you've seen the right mm-hmm. clothes, right? And you see the right place. And so all those things are perfect and you've built that story right uh, mm-hmm. but it's all a deception because you're scared or you're unable to or you're coming from this place of weakness where something might have happened to you i don't know your story but it's it, it yeah. has resulted in this what happens uh, because is there consequences to the individual or can you just go by your whole life living like that and yeah maybe then we can talk about maturity Oh boy. Those are, those are such big topics. 
<laughs> Sorry if I'm laying it heavy. I'm just I've been thinking about yes, these things. Yes, no, they're really important, and I love talking about all of them. Um, they're so complicated. Is really the answer is that it depends on so many of these things. But to mm. start us off, yes, we all lie to ourselves mm. often. We lie to ourselves often, even about the littlest things. Uh, we lie to ourselves about our eating, how much we eat, whether it's okay, can we have an extra glass of wine, why mm. that's fine, why we're tired, why we were snappy with our kids this morning or snappy with our spouse or we're late for work or whatever. We rationalize, we're in denial. We try to create some sort of blame for someone else so we don't have to look at our own responsibility for these factors. We emotionally reason, meaning we think our feelings accurately reflect reality as if it's a true reflection instead of considering that perhaps our emotional reaction is because of our interpretation and perception of the situation, which yeah. may be very inaccurate. So there are myriad ways that we lie and we all do it. And does it affect you? Yes, of course. And when you were describing this kind of picturesque person in your last description of mm. they got the house and the family and the job and the degree and the, whatever they're doing, um, you know, culturally, certainly in Western cultural contexts that are very individualistic, there is a large learning unconsciously culturally informed um, that if you do all of those things, then your life's going to be amazing and you're going to be happy and mm. everything's going to fall into place. And that is a lie. That is an absolute lie. Mm. But you know, in many ways, I think we're bred to believe that if you do all these things, if you're the good person, if you if you check all the boxes, everything's going to fall into place. If you marry the right person, you're going to be happy forever. There's never going to be a struggle. If, if you yeah. have the children, you're going to have, I don't know, done what you need to do as a human. Yeah. Um, what happens often is that at some point, you're confronted with your delusions because something isn't happy in your life. Something's really painful in your life. Something's falling apart in your life. You, you are struggling. Perhaps you're emotionally struggling. Perhaps you're behaviorally struggling. Uh, you realize that you're not living a life that you really want to live. And then the deception will start crumbling in front of your eyes. And it will oftentimes be like a mudslide. It will be a full on I believed all of this stuff and none of it is true. And in fact, who am I? And that is really kind of the stereotypical midlife crisis that you hear people going through where they've done all the things they thought they were supposed to do. And all of a sudden their life is falling apart and they have no idea how they got there and they're not doing what they want to be doing. Mm. Um, the degree to which you can be honest with yourself, I think is the most important thing you can do as a human mm. because if you're honest with yourself, or if you're at least striving to be, because we're never going to be 100%, yeah. but if you're striving to be, if you're intending to be, then your choices are hopefully going to be made with a very honest reflection of who you are and the life that you need to live to make it meaningful. Mm. And so you have the best opportunity for not finding yourself in that delusional mudslide. You have the best opportunity because every day, all the millions of little choices that you make lead to a comprehensive life that you actually want to be living with people you actually want to be around with a career that you actually care about inherently. Um, so I recommend to every human to be as honest with yourself as humanly possible. I mean, truly, I think that that's pr probably the hardest journey that we're on, but it's the most important. 
I think that's really important that you said that because I'm going to ask you from a little bit more of a Asian, Indian, Eastern context, right? Where there's a lot, and maybe of course I don't know, uh, discount how it is in the families or in the, the in North America or Europe. Mm-hmm. But um, there's a lot of you know intertwined um, what what is it? human um, sort of establishments in say an Indian context, right? Where the family. Uh, it, it's while it's good, like it's collective and everyone sort of fends for each other and kind of provides. It also takes um, away the, the the individuality, which is very prevalent in Western cultures, right? It's about you. Mm-hmm. It's about how much mm-hmm. you can do on your own, your potential. Um, so when a person does want to do this, right? They've been told, say, their parents said, "Yeah, you have to study hard, get into a good school, and next thing you'll be the CEO of Google." And they have these dreams, and that's the thing that they have to do to be successful. But they're having these thoughts, these honest thoughts. They're trying to break this deception and they've had these glimpses of like, what am I doing? But for every step forward or every honest thought they have, they're again being bombarded by not just family, but say the community, right? Could be even friends or mm-hmm. could be even the larger. No, no, you have to make money because without money, you're you're nobody. You're, you can never live without thing. Or or it, it, what, is, I mean, all, what is all this purpose nonsense? You know, <laughs> you hear these kind of... <laughs> So what is a, how does a person cope with it, right? Because it's like you're being dragged uh, in the direction you want to go is something you can. But for every time you do that and you're like, you know what? I'm going to do this thing because it gives me a sense of joy. It gives me a sense of peace. And they're like, what do you mean? What Peace can't feed you. Joy can't feed you. <laughs> you know? And you have, so what does someone do? I'm just trying to, uh, you know, figure this out because it's, it's, it's a beautiful thing and it's a very helpful thing which you just mentioned about being honest to yourself but the reality sometimes isn't as uh, straightforward or as easy to commit to so i'm going to separate self honesty from choice in response okay. to your comments because yeah. i think actually the hardest part of the journey is just being honest with yourself and mm. as an aside you you can't possibly be honest with other people if you're not honest with yourself first. Yeah. So you can't even have the conversation with your loved ones about the fact that you don't want to do the job that they really want you to do to make a lot of money until you first admit to yourself, I don't really want to do this job. And maybe I don't really care about making that much money. And maybe I'm more passionate about this other thing. Hmm. You'd have to acknowledge that to yourself first, which is so difficult. Yeah, it is yeah. so difficult if you're in a context where it really matters, right? It is unbelievably hard to be honest with yourself. Yeah. Once you are, now you're at choice. This is where the freedom of humans lies. This is where we create our life reality. This is where you actually do have power. So once you acknowledge, okay, this is who I am, These are some things that my family and community really want me to do. It's a high value to them. They have some good arguments for it. This is what I really want to do. Here is my choice. This is how I'm going to respond. That is where you're empowered. You have myriad options. You can say to your family, I know you think this matters and I totally understand your perspective, but I got to tell you, I have to follow my dream. And if I fall on my face, 
I'm okay with that. And I'm sorry mm. if that makes you upset. And I'm sorry if that looks bad on our family. Cause I understand this is a communal team here and I do not want you to feel ashamed of me, but I am going to have tremendous regret if I don't try this. Cause this is my calling. This is my passion. This is my whatever. Or you can say, you know what? I totally value this, but my family is more important to me. And so I am not willing to go against my parents, even though I understand that I'd like to, I'm not going to do that. And I'm going to follow this path. Or you can do some hybrid of that, whatever you choose, make it conscious and take responsibility for it. Because actually that will protect you psychologically. It is much better for you psychologically to do something you don't want to do or that it isn't your, the path you want by choice. Much, much better for you because you're aware of what you're doing and you're aware of why you're doing it. And sometimes all of us do things that we don't want to do because we think it's the right thing to do. And that's okay, yeah. right? We, we hopefully care about people enough, some people in our lives that we'll do a whole host of things that we really aren't that interested in and really would not be at the top of our enjoyment list because it matters to them. And I think that's perfectly okay. The goal is for you to be as self-aware as possible, as honest with yourself as possible, so that you're not haphazardly sleepwalking through life and at some point get confronted with the fact that you're living a life you hate and you are now inundated with all of these reasons that weren't really deliberately done by choice that got you there. And now you have to unravel it all to figure out what's next. And that unraveling is often tremendously painful because much of your life is going to probably change. And some of it's going to feel like it's falling apart. You may lose your spouse. You may have alienated your children, your family. You may have to change careers. I mean, you name it, I've seen all of it. Mm. Um, I'd still encourage you to do it, even if you're in that position, because whatever time you have on this planet is precious. And I would rather have any of us doing what we believe is the most meaningful thing to living a fulfilling life than continue in some self-deceptive life that we are not really deliberately doing because we think we're supposed to, or because we're taking cultural norms and values and kind of throwing them on ourselves and just saying, okay, well, I'll act this way because I'm supposed to, as Mm. opposed to I'm acting this way because this is my choice. This is what matters to me. And this is why I think particularly with your conversations or comments about um, highly socially taboo ways of being, that's incredibly hard. So for example, if you are homosexual and you're coming from a community that is very homophobic or a family who is very religious and not going to accept that part of you, there are people struggling in that position every day, yeah. every day, where they're trying to come to terms with their own identity and their own sexual identity. And then understanding that their community is not going to support it. And what is it going to do if they live in a way that's authentic to them? It may mean that they're going to lose their whole family. It may mean mm. a whole host of things that are really painful. In, in those cases, it's in your best mental health agenda 
to at least be honest with yourself about the conundrum that you're in. Mm. And certainly there's a lot of evidence from an individualistic perspective that it's better for you to live the life that's congruent with who you are. Um, from a collectivistic perspective, I think it's probably a little more complicated because you may say, you know, I am gay, but I am going to live a straight life because this, my community is more important to me, this mm. cultural reality or my religious tradition or whatever it is. Um, at baseline, I want people to be as honest as possible because mm. then they can still make the choices. Oh, that's amazing. I think that's really something which is so helpful in this scenario, right? Because when you kind of listen around with everything, it's just everyone uh, in so much in so much pain without knowing it. It's all these lies that are being kind of fed to oneself by the person themselves. But I want to ask you, we have, um, before we wind up, we, we have these, 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 this, this knowledge, or maybe even wisdom from, from passed on in various cultural contexts, right? From the idea of, you know, we have in, in, in the, in, in India from a yogic way of life, which is holistic, which has certain practices that help, or even say stoicism, or, you know, you have all these other schools of thought and how to live a holistic life and maybe even mm -hmm. to the next level of maybe even you know, if you look at Sufism or Buddhism and all these philosophies and these uh, religions that have a sense of passing on this teaching so we had that um, mm -hmm. but now feels of course I'm not discounting there are a lot of people doing a lot of work which is great and a lot of people helping uh, pass on this message but in my limited experience and knowledge it feels like the majority is the deception um and where did that change happen why is uh, so even in something like say you know spiritual spiritualism you have these spiritual leaders now and sometimes you hear of the, you don't hear of the really um spiritual ones because they're doing their own thing but you hear of these <laughs> other the, these stories where essentially you in, in any good space as well it could be someone working with climate change or someone working with a spiritual awakening but eventually some or someone who's a lovely musician whatever it may be why is this i mean and when did this happen this this idea of holding on so tightly to the idea of money and what it represents maybe power maybe uh, value <clears throat> when did the when did that take dominance or was it always there oof Last one you for know, today. I'm sorry. <laughs> huge, huge questions. I'm going to couch it like this. Hmm. I think the biggest negotiation of relationships that we have, including with ourselves, but also with everyone in our lives, is with power. Hmm. And so anytime you create a cultural context that gives power to certain things or certain traits or certain characteristics, it's going to become a focus for humans. Hmm. So whether it's money or beauty or intelligence or how nice your house is, or if you live in the right neighborhood, or if you're from the right family, or you're from the right caste or the right class or whatever it is, if it's associated with power, it's going to be very important to people. Mm. The difficulty about this is that as a psychologist, I am going to argue that the 
best way to become empowered comes from your internal self. And so when we look to external factors, most of these are external factors, right? To try to build us up and give us power, they are going to fall. They are very fleeting. You can't hang on to them. They're not intrinsic to who you are. They're outside of you. You can't take it with you, right? Mm -hmm. So I think that my, my encouragement, of course, we live in a culture and we live in a world and you have to have some money to live and you, mm, <laughs> you know, you, yeah. you have to take care of your body to some degree. Um, th these are not bad things. I don't want to make it sound like power is bad or money yeah. is bad or, but my hope for people is that they're able to focus on who they are and their core value as a human and that it isn't really attached to any external force of power. That whether you're, you know, go bankrupt or or get divorced or are a single parent or whatever, that you understand that your value is the same. Those are not determinants of value, human value. You have intrinsic value just because you exist, because you were born, because you are here. And I strongly believe that. I, I very profoundly, I mean, that is a value of mine. I, I realize perhaps not everyone believes that, but you have value. And what makes you more valuable is developing your internal character, how you act, how you treat people, whether you are a loving, graceful, empathic, compassionate person who strives to be the pinnacle of humans, of what we can be, of what we're striving for, of the top of Maslow's hierarchy of needs, if you know Maslow's hierarchy, from you know getting away from our animalistic, selfish tendencies where we want it all and we need it all and I got to have all the money and I got to have all this stuff mm -hmm. to make myself feel filled up. And get to the place where you say, all of this stuff is actually irrelevant mm. because I am valuable just as I am. The stuff is just a bonus if I get it. And yeah. if I don't have it, I'm still okay. Mm. That's my hope. Wow. It's amazing uh, hearing that from you. And you've been fantastic and amazing, uh, Dr. Courtney, with everything you've shared. And uh, sorry, I didn't warn you about some of the things. It's just that these things floated around in my mind and I wanted you to shed light on it because it's good to hear someone who studies this meets people who've experienced so much, um, so many diverse experiences, maybe issues, maybe positives. So when someone like you says uh, and talks about it uh, and says things that um, you believe, I really um, appreciate that and I really appreciate you taking the time to uh, talk to me today. It was delightful. It was a big conversation and I really enjoyed it. Thank you. And if people want to follow your work or check out your book, can you let them know where they can find that? Of course. My website is drcourtney.com. So mm -hmm. Dr. C-O-R-T-N-E-Y.com. Mm -hmm. um, my newest book is called Letting Go of Your Ex. It's a self-help book on love addiction and breakups. Ooh. But I also gave a TEDx talk on self-deception called Honest Liars. Um, nice. And I have a book on self-honesty as well for anyone who's interested in that. You can follow me on social media. There's a bunch of free stuff or, or writings. I write a blog for Psychology Today, which hopefully you guys have access to that's easy to get online. Yeah, um, yeah. 
we don't have roads in india but we have great internet so <laughs> <laughs> people are so connected here so now brilliant i'm i'm sure people listening right now would love to go check out those resources and uh Thank you again and you've been fantastic and amazing on this uh, episode. Appreciate it. Thank you. It was a pleasure. Hey, thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you like what you heard, please do check out the other episodes on YouTube or wherever you get your podcast. And I would much appreciate it if you could like the video, share it with people who you think might enjoy it, and of course, do subscribe to the channel because it will help me and the podcast grow and reach more people just like you. So thanks again, appreciate it.